15. Luke chapter 15. Have you ever restored anything? I'm sure your pastor has. He likes woodworking, but maybe you've restored a vehicle or maybe you've done a DIY, restore a piece of furniture, or maybe you want to restore a house. I would really like to do that. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. I'm I'm pretty sure of that. But those kind of things I I enjoy. And, And I think we all do. I mean, obviously, how many shows are there and have there been about restoring just about anything that you can think about restoring. And, and, and people watch them, and, and they are. They're fascinating to see the before and the after. And, uh, but you know what? There's some things that we need to restore that God is in the business of restoring, and that is relationships. God is in the business of restoring relationships. And we have a relationship here that was restored, and I want us to start reading in verse number 11. And he, that's Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, and he took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends." But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet, it was qualified, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage, what tremendous pictures you give us of things that do happen in our lives and ways that we ought to be and ways that sometimes we are and should not be. 
Lord, I don't know the hearts and the lives of the people that are here and the parts of relationships that they're involved in and circumstances that they have been involved in in their lives and things that they might need to deal with, but Lord, that You do. And I ask that You would use Your Word in a way that only You can. And I believe it is a living Word and I believe the Holy Spirit always works when it is preached. And I pray that You would do that tonight. And that we would respond as we ought to. We thank You for this and we thank You for Your loving kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. We see three people in this passage and, and I believe we can find ourselves in at least one of these categories. And the first is the existence of a sinful son. There's something that's true about every person, and that is we are sinful people. That's a truth that you don't have to look very far to see, but I heard somebody say this. It is the most, at the, it is the most empirically verifiable fact that man is sinful, yet at the same time it is the most denied. You can verify it on every hand. Everywhere you look, you can see that people are sinful, and yet mankind still wants to deny that. Yeah. I, we had a youth rally at a church one time, and a, and a young man got saved, and, and he went home, and then his mom wouldn't let him come back. In fact, she called us, and she was upset with us. She said, she said you have no business to tell my child that he's a sinner. And I thought, I don't think anybody did, honestly. I mean, the Word of God was preached, but he came to that conclusion on his own. But we are all sinners. And here we have a sinful son. He said, give me. Give me. Later he says, make me, Lord. Make me, Father. Make me one of your servants. But at this time he says, give me. And the truth is, sin is inherently selfish. From the very first sin of reaching forward to that, to that fruit and to ingest it for self. Because she said, it looks good for my flesh, it looks good for my mind, it looks good for everything. I want this, it's for me. I don't care about the consequences. But he was sinful, and people are sinful. I'm sinful. You're sinful. Well, because we're sinful, that harms our relationships, doesn't it? Sin always harms relationships to one extent or another. In the garden, it harmed their relationship with God. It harmed their relationship with each other. The next sin that we find in Scripture is the, the, the false sacrifice or the bad sacrifice that Cain made. What happened? Immediately, it caused jealousy from Cain to his brother Abel. Sin always causes some kind of difficulty in relationships. And sometimes it's our sin and sometimes it's somebody else's sin. Have you ever been sinned against? I know the answer to that question. And sometimes the sins that are against us can be very grievous, be very heinous, very difficult, very hard. But it does happen. And this young man sinned against his father and he sinned against his brother. You have to understand that in their culture, different than ours, for someone to do what he did was to shame the family. And all the shame that he brought upon himself in the way that he lived would also be reflected on the family. In, in this honor-shame culture in which he lived, and much of the Eastern cultures are, that is what was taking place. That is one of the reasons why his other bro older brother was upset. He's shamed us. He's brought this upon us, not just himself. Sin hurts other people. I think of Philemon in Scripture. It was written, Paul wrote to Philemon saying, look, forgive Onesimus. He did you wrong. But at least for my sake, I'll pay the I'll pay the debt back if that helps. But at least for my sake, would you forgive him? Because Philemon was hurt. Paul, I think, was hurt by John Mark 
and by Demas, who Demas loved the present world and he left Paul. And who knows what John Mark had done, but, but he left Paul as well. And he says, I've got a mission to take on and these guys are, are dragging me down. But yet, forgiveness was there. In ministry, you'll get hurt. You say, well, I'm not in ministry. If you're in church, you're in ministry. You're going to serve other people. Amen. And when you serve other people, you're going to get hurt. I think sometimes people don't expect that. And so then when it does happen, it just hurts that much more. Nah. As a youth pastor, there was, there was young men that I spent a lot of time with. In fact, more time than, than others. Guys that would come into my office after school because they wanted to do a Bible study. Maybe they'd come to my house at random times. We'd feed them supper. We'd play games with them. We'd do all kinds of stuff. We'd get a trampoline. In the backyard, we'd jump on the trampoline. Just trying to help them to grow in the Lord. And it's some of those same, same guys that have hurt us the most. Sometimes it's friends. Someone that you've loved and you've spent time with. Maybe you've cried with them and they have hurt you and wounded you deeply. And then sometimes it's family. Amen. Because people are sinful. I am sinful. You are sinful. He was sinful and that separated him. But notice verse 14. And when he had spent all... That's where sin takes you, where you're spent. You come to the end of yourself, and sometimes over and over and over again. And at the end of that, you're empty. That's where he was when he spent all. He was empty. He's dry. And as the passage and the previous passages explain, and things are lost, they're found. There was a sheep that was lost, and angels are going to rejoice in heaven when one lost sinner is found over the ninety and nine that may not need repentance. And when the one coin is found, those things that are found, this is in the context of that. When something that is lost is found, well, he's lost. He's lost because he's followed himself to these ends. And it hurts people, but he was spent. It says that in the end of verse 15 that he went... He, because he was sent by that citizen to feed swine. Can you imagine a Jewish boy having to feed swine? That's pretty shameful. You're pretty low when you're not supposed to be around those kind of animals, when you're not supposed to eat those kind of animals, and now you're the one feeding them, and he would fain have filled his belly. He was so hungry that he's thinking the husks, this food, that this slop that they give to pigs, I and mean, pigs will eat anything. So you, maybe you give them the last of everything. Well, he said, look, I would fill my belly with this, but it's not going to help me. And then I notice it says this at the end of that verse 16, and no man gave unto him. Where are your friends now? Where are those people that you partied with, that you were having a good time with? Where are those people now? Well, that's where sin takes you. It breaks those relationships and it puts you in a place where you're completely empty as he was. And sinful people exist in our lives. Do they not? And some of them have hurt. They've hurt us. But notice verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He was sorry. He was sorry. Sin must be confessed, it always must be confessed. God gives us that, He gives us the ability to confess and be forgiven. 
that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 23.18 tells us that if we cover our sin, we shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. He was sorry, but we see that he was serious. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my Father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. You're not serious about your sorrow until you're willing to go to that person and confess. To go to all that are involved. If you have offended someone, you should confess it to them. You should get right with them. And it says, he says, uh, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. There was no excuses. He didn't say, well, I, I just thought this. or because of, No, he says, I have done wrong. I know a, a man that I have done some work with. And uh, his son has done some wrong things. And, and he said, he's come back home and he's apologized to me. He said, but I know that he's not right yet because he has not yet confessed it before God. When we get right with others, we need to get right with God. And when we get right with God, we need to get right with others. Because God tells us that if we do not get right with others, to leave our gift at the altar. Don't spend time praying. Don't spend time trying to serve God unless we're right with our fellow man. He tells us in Matthew chapter 18 that if we won't forgive our brother, then he's not going to forgive us. What obligation should he have? to forgive us if we're not going to be forgiven. And in that Matthew 18 passage, he talks about a man that was forgiven much, but he goes out and he won't forgive little. And so the king brings him back in and says, no, you're not forgiven anymore. You're going to go to prison because I forgave you for so much greater than that. And the picture that God is giving us is this. I have forgiven you of all your sins. Can you not forgive this person of the sins that they've committed against you? That I have sacrificed my son so that all that could be forgiven. And that's what we're told in Ephesians 4.32. To be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Because of the cross, we can be forgiven and we can forgive. Amen. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proper confession is going to the person and going to God confessing the wrong and asking for forgiveness. We try. We're not always as consistent as we should be, but we try with our kids that when they have wronged the other one, not just to go and say, I'm sorry. That's, that's what they want to do, right? They, they want to just say, I'm sorry, and, and walk away from it. But to go to that person and say, this is what I did, and I was wrong, would you forgive me? That's proper confession. You know, to pray and say, I'm sorry, God. That doesn't sound serious. But to say, Lord, you know it anyway. You saw it. Here's what it was. Would you forgive me? And he will. But that's how we need to go to other people. That's how we would like to be approached. We don't want somebody to come to us and just say, I'm sorry. We want to say, look, I, I may have offended you in these ways because I, this was my behavior. This is what I said. This is what I did. Will you forgive me? And maybe you're on the side of the relationship that you have offended. It's our responsibility as Christians to restore relationships by taking that step. No matter what side of the relationship we're on, we should be the ones taking that first step. I cannot make someone forgive me, but I can do my part. And I can say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I have wronged you. 
And maybe you've wronged somebody. Maybe God is shedding light in your heart to that area, that thing that you said you did, that offense. And He's telling you, you need to deal with that. You need to deal with that. And you're not going to be right with God until you deal with that. It's going to take humility. He was brought to the place of ultimate humility. Don't put God in the place of putting you there to say, okay, if you won't humble yourself, then I will humble you. Then I will put you in that place. I will put you on your knees. No, we should freely and voluntarily get on our knees of humility and say to God and to those people, I I have wronged you. We we see the existence of a sinful son, but we also see the example of a forgiving father. Notice verse uh, 19. The son is finishing his statement. He's saying, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. The example of of a forgiving father. Now, I believe this father is a perfect picture of God. We don't see this father do anything wrong, and it is a perfect example of how God forgives us. Have you ever needed to be forgiven? Yeah, every, every, yeah you have. You have. Uh, I feel like growing up, I had to say I was sorry so many times. Um, your pastor knows me better, and, and I feel like if he doesn't remember... Uh, I, I, I'm the kind of person, if you don't give me responsibility, I will be irresponsible. And I think everybody is that to an extent, but, but I think I took that to a, another level. Uh, I, I will find something to do, and it may not be constructive. It, it, in fact, I am very good at destructing things. And, and I have broken a lot of things in my first 18 years of life. Part of it is just being a boy. That's just, boys break things, Okay. And, and I, I've broken doors, I've broken windows, I've broken drywall after drywall. I've, you know, I, I've been, I remember one time I was at a restaurant in Colorado with my grandpa, and he wasn't the kind of guy that really liked this. Well, I, I mean, I was bored. I'm standing outside the restaurant, and there was, it was like a Mexican restaurant that had like a, a beam sticking out of the wall. It was kind of a stucco type of thing, and I was like, oh, it's a beam sticking out of the wall. I'm going to jump up and grab it, not realizing that it was just a facade. It was just stuck to the wall, and I jumped up and grabbed it, and it, it came down with me. Uh, it didn't hold me at all. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm standing there holding this thing like, you know, it's too late to say I'll never do that again because, you you know, you're not going to do that again. But, but I broke things. And so there were many times in life that I've had to say I'm sorry. I remember once in, in high school I worked for a camp, and uh, we, we had a, I think it was a ladies' retreat, and ladies' retreats were always the biggest deal of the year. And we had... We had rented a golf cart to help get us around quicker because we had to move a little faster. And so my boss, the camp director, said, hey, I need you to go do this and take the golf cart. So I jumped on the golf cart and I cranked the tire or cranked the steering wheel real tight and I, and I, and I hit the gas. What I didn't know at that time is that some golf carts, when you turn the steering wheel really tight and you, and you hit the gas, you can't get the steering wheel back around the straight very quickly. It's almost stuck in that position. And man, I turned and I whipped that thing and I hit the back end of somebody's car. And man, I was sorry as soon as it happened, you know. It wasn't intentional. It was an accident. Put a big dent in their car. And I knew that I had to apologize. And I did. And that guy completely forgave me. Completely. Like it never happened. 
And I met him many years later. I was actually preaching in a Christian school, and he was the principal. And I said, do you remember me? I did this. And he's like, I don't even remember that happened. So that's forgiveness. We have forgiveness here. Notice when he was yet, verse 20, a great way off. He was ready to forgive. Now, I see these things. I'm sure you do too. This is one of the reasons why God spoke in parables, Jesus spoke in parables, because then we could see it. And as we see it, we feel the truth and we know it. We don't see him busy in the field, do we? We see him something like this. He's sitting on his porch, looking down the driveway, looking down the road, hoping his son's going to come home today. In anticipation that his son was coming home. That's why he saw him a great way off. There was no second guessing. We see him every day on that porch hoping his son comes home because he was ready to forgive. Maybe you're on the side of a relationship where you've been hurt. Are you ready to forgive? Are you anticipating? Are you in that place? Look, I can't apologize for them, but before they get it out of their mouth, I'm going to tell them they're forgiven. He was ready to forgive because he had compassion. Micah 7.18, who is like unto our God? A God of compassion. He passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retains not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. That's in the book of Micah. That's a minor prophet. That's the, the judgment books that we talk about. And when people, it bothers me to death when people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. Micah said, who is like unto him? Because he delights in mercy. That's our God. Amen. The reason judgment came is because they never repented after hundreds and hundreds of years of patience. And over and over, God pleaded with them with these prophets, and yet they would reject him. But he was saying the whole time, I will give you mercy. Manasseh, we talked about him on Sunday or Monday, I can't remember anymore, was one of the most wicked kings. He eventually repented and God granted him a stay because of his repentance. Ahab is one that we look at and we're like, Ahab, you are a terrible king. You are a very wicked man. But at the end of his life, he repented and God told the prophet, do you see his tears? Well, I did. And so because of that, I want you to go tell him there's going to be mercy in his lifetime. That's our God. And God will give us mercy. And what God is saying is, I don't like giving you mercy when you don't give others mercy. Amen. And I want you to love them like I have loved you. That when you were lost, and you were away, and you were in sin, and you spent everything of the life that I gave you, I was waiting there for you. I was looking down the road for you, hoping that you would come. Hoping that you would repent. And I know... That some of the hurt that we have had is deep. But because God can forgive, He can enable us to forgive. He can give us the power to do so. He was ready to forgive. For thou art a God, thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Psalm 86.5 
Notice in verse 22 or 20, 20 again, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. He was quick to forgive. He hugged him and kissed him before the confession. Before the confession. That is real love. That even if you don't tell me you're sorry, even if you don't forgive me, I'm still going to love you. That's hard. Only God can do that through us. And God wants to do that through us. He wouldn't ask us to do something that He hasn't already done Himself. He wouldn't ask us to do something that He wouldn't empower us to do. And He's saying, look, this is what real forgiveness is. Being ready and being quick. And he desired to restore as much as was possible. He says, verse 22, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. He's still my son. He's not a servant. He's still my son. And shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The relationship was restored. But there was no more inheritance for him. In fact, we go, I think it's to verse 30. He says, but this, the older brother is speaking, he says, but as soon as this thy son was coming, has devoured thy living, his living, thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him for him that fatted calf. And he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine, because I've already given him the inheritance. And there's a truth that God is saying, you can forgive, but that doesn't mean trust is automatic. Sometimes trust will never be given back. Trust has to be earned, but forgiveness should not be. Forgiveness is given. He was desiring to restore. And sometimes people have abused our trust in their offense against us. We can forgive them, but that doesn't mean they gain trust. And sometimes people will say, well, you need to trust me. I don't need to trust you. But I need to love you. And I need to forgive you. And then we see, lastly, we see the expressions of a bitter brother. Verse 25, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came, he drew nigh into the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. We see, first of all, his pause. He stopped. He says, what's going on? And when he asked, and the other servants said, it's your brother, he's come back. What he should have done was like the father and say, well, I had to work in the field, but, but man, I'm glad my brother's back. I'm glad my brother's alive, and I do want to forgive, and I do want to run in and tell him that, but no, no. He paused. We have to be careful that we don't look at that person who's asking for forgiveness and say, well, we'll see if they mean it. We'll see if they're serious about it. Well, you know what we're doing when we do that? We're trying to make them earn it. That's not forgiveness. Sometimes we say that when somebody gets saved and we say, well, we'll see if it's true. We'll see if their life changes right away like I expect it to change right away. You know, when we have that kind of an attitude, are we really helping them? No. Is he helping him? No, he's not. He was upset. That's the second thing we see. We see his passion. Oh, he's angry. Verse 28, 
and he was angry and would not go in. Was he angry because of the sin? Or was he angry because his dad forgave him? Yeah, he was. He was angry because his dad didn't give him what he thought he deserved. And his dad says, you got everything I have. And you want more. Let me ask you, what was the sin that the brother had early on? I want more. I want everything that's due to me. And I want it. What's the older brother doing? The same thing. We've got to be careful that we're not guilty of the same things. And when it comes down to it, we've all sinned against God. And our unforgiveness is a blight on the soul like somebody else's blight on the body. He was angry at the repentance. He was angry at the forgiveness because he was only thinking about himself. When we do not forgive, we are only thinking about ourselves and how we feel. could have been an institution. It can be churches. And it's amazing how people will jump from one institution to another, one church to another, one school to another, one family to another, one person to another because of what somebody did. And they'll hate all of one category because of what someone or maybe a few people did in that category. Look, it's not an institution. It's not a church. It's not a denomination. It's not a race. It's not a gender. It's sin and it's people and they're everywhere. And it could be us. And it could be me. And I need to understand that. And I need to be humble about that. And I need to rejoice when one sinner repents. No matter the level of what it looks like to my mind, no matter maybe what I want out of it, I need to be like the Father and I need to be quick, I need to be ready, and I need to be loving. But he was bitter and he was pouting. He wanted to wallow outside. Notice verse 29, and he answering and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Five times, one verse referred to himself. Pretty selfish. Sometimes we have to be careful and listen to our words as we're talking about a situation that we're not so absorbed with us and how we feel that we're not willing to restore that relationship. He was pretty proud about it. Pretty proud of himself. He says, I've never done this. Look what he's done. He wasted the substance with riotous living. He spent his time with harlots. I've not done that. And his father basically said, it's not about you. It's not about you. He wanted to come back. He's alive. That's in the past. He's sorry about it. He wants to be forgiven. Let's forgive him. My pastor in Indiana taught me some great things about forgiveness. Number one, there are there are several things about forgiveness that we need to know. One of those is don't rehearse. Don't rehearse it in your mind. That event that happened, or maybe your argument in your mind, don't build an argument in your mind against that person. I, I don't know. I know men were driving down the road, maybe riding a lawnmower. You know, we're in the quietness of our own mind. And what do we do? We take a situation and we build a case. We start saying, well, that person did this. And maybe we have an argument in our minds with that person. Yeah, yeah, we're putting words in their mouth. 
we're not seeing it from their perspective. We're only seeing it. You're going to win that court case every time. You're not going to lose. You're going you're gonna to build it for you. You're going to switch places with the judge. You're going to bring the gavel down. You're going to be in the jury. And, and you're going you're gonna to tell the bailiff, shoot the man. You know, you're, you're, and you'll be the bailiff. You'll just, you'll finish it right there. You'll always build the case in your favor. Amen. Don't rehearse in your mind. Don't bring that thing back up again. And that brings us to the three aspects of forgiveness. If you don't write this down, at least put it on your brain. Real forgiveness does three things. Or maybe I should say doesn't do three things. Number one, when you forgive somebody, you're saying, I will not bring it back up to you. I will not bring it back up to you because I've released you of it. I have forgiven you. Secondly, I will not bring it up to anybody else. I'm not going to tell somebody else about it. I have forgiven you. Maybe if they bring up that situation, I say, hey, look, it's forgiven. It's done. And thirdly, I will not bring it back up to myself. And that might be the hardest thing. Not to bring it up to them. I don't see them all the time. Not to bring it up to somebody else. It may not come up in conversation. But the devil is going to bring it up to you over and over and over. And you have to come up with a practice of saying, no, I'm not doing that, God. I'm not doing that. You need to help me, Lord. You need to help me deny the devil because he is going to bring it up to me. Years ago, we were hurt in a in a business situation, we'll say. I, I want to be careful about it. I'm not bringing it up to you, okay? I'm just telling you about a situation. And, and it hurt deeply. We, we, were, we felt pretty offended by it, but we knew immediately this is an opportunity to, to be bitter or to, to forgive. And so we said we're going to forgive. And it was, it was constant. We just had to, at least me, I had to constantly say, no, no, I'm not going to think that way about that person. And it took 13 or 14 years, but it is unbelievable how God has turned that situation around. I mean, completely turned it around to where that person is now an enormous assist to our ministry. If we had been bitter, it would never have happened. And I believe that God's, God was just waiting to open that door for us, but it would have been our foot on it of bitterness to say, no, I'm not willing. But don't bring it up to yourself, don't bring it up to them, and don't bring it up to anybody else. When somebody wrongs you and you are bitter, what you're doing is you're allowing their problem to become your problem. When you don't forgive, you allow their problem to become your problem. We're told in Psalm, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. What a tremendous example of God's forgiveness. Jeremiah 31, 4, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He doesn't say, I will forget it because God cannot forget. He says, I will not remember it. I will not bring it up. That's our example of forgiveness. And I'm looking at people that I know somebody sinned against you. Maybe it's been forgiven, but maybe it's still festering somewhere in there. Would you allow God to use this passage tonight to scrape off that festering sore of bitterness and cleanse your heart? Would you allow God 
to make you more like him in this area? I believe that there is nothing more godly a person can do than to forgive. You can maybe flip that around and say there may be nothing more ungodly than a person can do than to not forgive. Because that is what Jesus Christ came to do, to forgive, to remember no more our sins against Him. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to tell you right up front, our Father sent His only Son to die in our place so that we can be forgiven. And maybe there's never been a time in your life where you came to God and said, God, would you forgive me of my sins? But let me tell you, if there's a porch in heaven, God's sitting on that porch right now, and He's looking down the road, and He's hoping that it's you. He's hoping that you will come down that road and say, God, that's me. I have sinned before you, and I want to be right in your eyes. Would you forgive me because of what Christ did on the cross for me? And He will. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you say, Preacher, there's never been a time where I came to God and said, God, I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me and save me? But if that's you and you'd say, Tonight, I want tonight to be the night. I want to come to God and get a relationship with God. I want to be forgiven of my sins. If that's you, anywhere in the auditorium, you say, I want to be forgiven of my sins and saved tonight. Would you just raise your hand so that I can see it? Anywhere in the auditorium. I want the forgiveness that God gives. And I've never had it. I see that hand right here. I just want to double check. By the raised hand, you'd say, I'm not saved. Is that you? You'd say, I'm not saved, but I want to be forgiven. Anybody at all? All right, Christian. I don't know which side of the relationship you're on. Maybe it's somebody that you've offended. Maybe it was a long time ago. But God wants you to get right. Will you do that? You'd, you'd say, by a test, testimony, you'd say, that, that's me. God has pointed out a relationship that I need to help restore. I can't make them forgive me, but I can tell them I'm sorry. I can try to get right with them. And maybe God's pointed out something to you tonight that you need to get right. Is that is that anybody in the auditorium tonight? You'd say, yeah, that's me, preacher. By your upraised hand, that's me. I see that hand. Anybody else? Maybe you're on the flip side of that. Maybe you've been offended. Somebody's wounded you and they've offended you. And you'd say, I need to forgive. I need to reach out to them and try to restore that relationship and let them know that I forgive them. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anywhere in the auditorium, I see several hands. I see several hands, and I'm not surprised. Maybe you haven't raised your hand, but you'd say, you know, there is an area. It doesn't matter if I see the hand. God sees your heart. Would you deal with that as God has spoken to you? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, the hymn of invitation is beginning to play.